Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Let's celebrate being at church together today, can we? Awesome. Man, um, hey, everybody do something for me. Stand up, would you, real quick? Uh, If you're at home, you don't have to. And then take one step towards the middle. Make some room. We're just kind of running out of seats. And your ushers, who are awesome, are trying to find seats for people. So if you can squeeze in and leave some room, that'd be great. Then you can sit back down. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sit back down. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, we are so glad that you're here with us today. Thank you. That, that's helping them do their job uh, a little bit better. So if you're new to ACF, uh, we're just honored that you're here with us here today. Um, we are in a series called Heart Check, and it's been so good for my soul. Hopefully it's been good for you. Just a challenge uh, to really look into the heart of the matter, because whether you know it or not, what you do and what you say, it comes from somewhere. And what the Bible says is it comes from your heart. And so that's what we're talking about through this series. I want to start with a question here for the men in the room. Be real with me. Any men in the room here today, would you say that sometimes you have a little bit of pride in your life? Any men in the room? The rest of y'all are proud. I see. I see. Yep, yep. If you didn't raise your hand, that's you. All right. So we've all got some pride in our life. I know I do. Uh, so I've mar- been married to my wife, Amanda, almost 19 years now. Um, which, thank you. That's very kind of you. We're, we're, we're doing okay. We're together. We're making it. Uh, so far, so good. Keep praying for us. Uh, but this will happen all the time. We'll be out to dinner on date night, and we'll be sitting there eating together, and I'll have like a bowl of soup, and I'll, um, you bearded men will get this. I'll, I'll take, a, take a spoonful of soup, and I'll put it in my mouth, and it'll kind of dribble down my chin, and she hates it, like with a passion. And she'll always be like, but babe, babe, you, gotta, you, got some, you got some stuff on your face. And so, like, you know, like as a humble man, I just went, oh, I just wiped that right off, babe. But for whatever reason, because of the pride in my life, I'm like pouring more on the beard. Like, I don't know what it is, but I, I like, I react when she tells me there's some stuff on my face. There's pride in me. I, I'm not sure what the problem is. I don't know if you, any of you relate to that. But it's not just the men in the room. It's the ladies in the room as well. We all feel a little pride sometimes. And the question I have is, why is it? that the thing that we need to hear the most is often the thing that we resist the most. Isn't it true in our lives that the thing we need most to hear is the thing that we're most resistant toward and our pride starts welling up and we're like, no, no, that's, that's not something that's for me. And I, I say that to start off our conversation today because that's exactly where some of you are going to be this morning. As we talk about this enemy of the heart here today, if you know the, uh, the greater biblical narrative, you know that God created man and woman, and put them in this beautiful garden uh, called the Garden of Eden. And it was just this place of, uh, of God's provision. It was a beautiful place, and it was really the entire world was, I think, defined by one word, and it's the word abundance. Do you know that we have a God of abundance? And it's God that created all things, and he loves to give good gifts to his children, and he is an abundant giver. And imagine this world where everything is provided for you. Every need is supplied. You never wondered where the next meal would come from. You never wondered if you'd have enough. God is this God of abundance. He provides for the first two human beings in this garden 
And then in Genesis 2.16, it says this. God speaks. He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die, certainly die. Now, in this text, I, I, I think of something. You can, you can eat from any tree in the garden, right? So in other words, he provided a lot of trees, a lot of potential places for them to get nourishment and, and to get food and to have what they needed. It was a beautiful place, right? So they had all of these options, but God drew a boundary from the very beginning. And the boundary was this. There are some things that are yours, and there are some things that are not. And that is still true for us today, is it, is it not? Right? There are some things that are mine, and there are some things that are not. And of course, like we know, if you know the story, where do they want to hang out? Right by that tree, right? Not by all of the other trees that they could eat from, but by this one tree that they were told not to eat from. And ultimately, they do. They eat from that tree. Sin enters the world. It fractures the relationship between God and humanity, between man and woman. And we are still feeling that tension here today. And now, before you judge them, right? Because there can be a sense like, how could two human beings who have every need supplied find themselves eating of the one tree that God said, don't eat from it? Well, the truth is, they are all of us. We still experience this today, and it's in something we call greed. Greed is this, this enemy of the heart that we're dealing with. And if you want to open a Bible to Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to be today. But I want to focus on one verse to start off. Jesus is speaking. It says, Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So, Jesus says, watch out. Now, he could have said, watch out about a lot of things. But he just said, watch out about your greed. Be careful that greed does not take over your heart, right? And I don't know if you ever said, watch out to somebody, but normally it's because there's a risk to them, right? Like, like you say, watch out when somebody is crossing a busy street. You say, watch out when somebody is walking near the edge of a cliff. Jesus is like, you are at risk. You had better watch out. And what you get the sense of as you, as you read the words of Jesus is that the most at-risk people in his society uh, who, would, who would maybe miss out on the kingdom of God were actually those who had great possessions. He says things like, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Like, why would he say things like that? He's always calling out the, risk, the, the rich as those who are at the highest risk, Right? And I think that's true. Now, some of you are like, all right, uh, pick the wrong week to come to church. Pick the wrong week to invite my friend. Now, here's the deal. Like, that's why, did you notice a, a change in the flow this morning? We did something different. What did we do? We did the offering early, right? So we have no offering at the end. So you have to think that, like, the pastor's trying to get me to, to give to the, so there's nothing, there's nothing to worry about, right? There's no big invitation to give money at the end of the church service. You're fine. But here's the deal. This is a really difficult one to deal with. Uh, another raise of hands. Who in church thinks they're greedy? Okay, six of you. Awesome. <laughs> then then uh, you guys can listen. No, here, I know some of you even raise your hands. You're like, well, I don't want to be called out in church. But this is a really difficult issue of our hearts because it's really hard to see. Greed is almost impossible to spot within ourselves. It's really difficult to notice it. Like other sin is obvious, Right? Like, if you just stole something from, from Fred Meyer, it'd be in your pocket, you would know it, right? It's clearly. If you had an affair, you, you don't just like, whoops, I did what? Right? You're never surprised that you cheated on somebody. Like, like these things happen, they're obvious, but greed's a little bit more easy to hide, isn't it? It's a little bit more difficult to see, and honestly, it's easier to see in other people than in, our, in ourselves. If I did a raise of hands to ask you, does anybody know any greedy people? Y'all would be like, yep, every hand in the room. So why is it that we all can name a greedy person, and yet most of us don't think we're that person? It, it, it's just this, it's this real thing. Like, I was reading this week about this psychological term called the fundamental attribution error. And the fundamental attribution error is this idea that we assume everybody else's actions are determined by who they are as people rather than the social and environmental forces around them. But we assume that our actions don't say anything about who we are. So I want you to think about it like, like if you pull out of church today, and let's say like you cut someone off 
which you would never do because you just got your Jesus on, and you're like, no, you first, no, you first. But let's just say, like, you weren't listening during church today, and you pulled out and you cut somebody off, and they're behind you on the horn. Some of y'all are, like, tapping the brakes, and you're like, hey, I got a reason to get out here. I waited so long. I, I didn't want to cut you off. Like, it says nothing about who I am. I have somewhere to go. So you just calm down. Calm down, person behind me, right? But then let's say... You're the person coming out of church that gets cut off. What are you going to say? You moron, right? Like, like, what's wrong with you? Why do you hate God? Like, what's going on with you that you would do this? You're obviously an evil person. It's the fundamental attribution error, right? My heart is pure. Yours must be evil because of what you do, right? Now, I want you to think about your life. When it comes to the way you deal with your possessions, some of us are like, no, 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 that's just, that's this thing over here. That has nothing to do with who I am. It's just what I'm, what I'm doing, when the reality is it does start to identify a problem in our hearts, right? It starts to show us some things that, that may need some work. It's interesting, as a pastor, uh, I've been doing this for a little while, and uh, greed is so hard to spot. And, and here's the problem is Jesus seems to think it's something that we need to watch out for, that we need to be really aware of. And um, in, in my years of ministry, it's been about 20 years doing uh, full-time ministry, I have had people call me up for all kinds of different things. Pastor Brian, I'm struggling in my marriage. Pastor Brian, I'm, I'm struggling with uh, the situation at work. I have never to this day had somebody call me and go, Pastor Brian, I am so convicted. I've been up at night. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I feel bad about myself. I'm dealing with deep-seated shame. I don't know what to do. Brian, i got to confess something to you. I'm greedy. It's just never happened. Again, you have to go, well, why is this? What is going on here? We all want to avoid this talk, and yet Jesus seems to talk about greed all the time. Do you know that 25% of what Jesus talked about was money? Which I thought, well, that means that I'm an unfaithful pastor because I'm only talking about it here and there, right? Like, if I'm going to follow the Jesus model, every fourth sermon is a money sermon. Make some room in church, right, for next week. It would help us out a little bit. If I, just every, if I just told you every four weeks talking about your money, y'all be like, I'm finding a new church, right? Like, I'll find somewhere with a little, little more room around. I get that. Like, like, we resist it. Well, what is this greed? Like, how do we define it? And I think we could define it simply as this. I owe me. I owe me. Like, have you seen what I've done? Have you seen what I've put, put up with in my life? Have you seen all that I've gone through? I deserve this. I owe it to myself. Now, if you're here today, and I, I hope that you're starting to try to go like, is there greed in my heart? And I, and I want you to know, everybody in the room, including myself, there is greed in our hearts. So just so you know, before, um, before I even preach this, this is about me first, okay? I am preaching to myself. I know that I can be prone to greed as much as anybody else, but for us to diagnose this, diagnose this we have to start to see, how does it come out? Like, what does it look like? And I want to give you a few things. I think the first thing is that someone who's greedy will quibble over small amounts of money. Are you the kind of person, like, do you have somebody who owes you $2.75 from Taco Bell 16 years ago, and you're like, I will never talk to that person again. <laughs> we'll never speak with them again. And it just, it's little things that, that you will break the relationship over the money. And that's, that's a sign of greed. Another sign of greed is, is that you have created a culture of secrecy. You see, the thing about greed is we can conceal it. We can hide it, Right? You can, you can come in here and you can leave every week and we don't know. Like, we, we don't know what you're doing with what you have. And so you can conceal it. And whether you know it or not, when you conceal sin in one area of your life, you will conceal it in another. That if you live a life of secrecy in one area, you will live a life of secrecy in another area and it will breed throughout your life. Another thing that uh, greedy people do is they're reluctant to express gratitude. And they kind of hold back. Like, I'm not so sure I want to say I'm thankful because that would... in that would kind of say that I, I have enough, or that I'm, that I'm good, that I'm, I'm fine. I don't want to say that because I'm always wanting more. I owe me. Greedy people are not content with what they have. Constantly looking for the next thing. Constantly. Middle of church on Facebook Marketplace. Like, I got to find, I got to find, right? Amazon Prime. It's, it's dinging right now. Buy it now. Like, in the middle of maybe a time that you're supposed to be focusing on something else, man, it's just hard because I just, I just want something more. And in the end, greedy people place more value on possessions than people. When given the choice, they will sacrifice the person for 
the possession. And in the end, what greed does is it stirs up all kinds of other things. I think of uh, sexual sin that's driven by greed. Gluttony, this idea that like I, I just can't ever be satisfied. Power addiction, envy, anger, jealousy, stealing, deception, overworking. I mean, you can't ever stop working because you owe it to yourself to get that thing that you're after. And so, man, you just, you never quit. You're losing so much. The cost is greater than you know. Why does Jesus warn these people? Watch out. I think it's because our possessions have power. They have power to keep us from our calling. They have power to break relationships. They have power to keep you from focusing in church this morning, right? Like, how you doing? Eyes up here. Eyes up here. Like, it, our possessions have power. They can really rob something from us. Luke 12, I want to read this whole narrative. It says this, verse 13, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, man, oh, that's funny Jesus says that. Man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Apparently there are different kinds. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. He's talking to himself. Maybe that's a sign that we're greedy. We're like, weird inner dialogue going on here. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Amen. This is God's word for us here today. Now, I want to start off at the beginning of this moment. Now, this man calls out to Jesus and says, hey, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Maybe he had an older brother that was going to get all the money, and he's like, I want some of that money. It's interesting that a story about greed was given to a man who didn't have a lot of money. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you would think it would be a rich man getting a story about being rich. Instead, Jesus tells a story about a man who has stuff to a man who just wants stuff. So here's what you need to start off with is this reality that, that greed is not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. It's not about how much stuff you have. Throughout the Bible, we see poor greedy and rich greedy. We see unsuccessful greedy and successful greedy. We see weak greedy and powerful greedy. Anybody can be greedy. It's something that we're all at risk of. Andy Stanley says this. He says, you don't have to actually have extra to be greedy. As long as you plan to spend whatever comes your way on yourself, you're a candidate. If you've allowed your lifestyle to keep lockstep with or surpass your income, you'll find it next to impossible to keep greed from taking root in your heart. In other words, I owe me. So everything I earn and everything I have is owed back to the person who, who got it all, who created it all, who, who, who made this happen, and that person is me. I'm in debt to myself, and so everything is in lockstep with what I want. So what does this man do? How does he respond to the stuff that he has? He says, I have surplus grain. And he's also called a rich man. And this is really interesting. When we think of rich, I think probably a, a large portion of, of us are like, maybe one day, Brian, but <laughs> I'm not rich. But in the Bible, there are two categories. There are poor people and rich people. And poor people are those who don't know where the next meal's coming from. They don't know where they're going to sleep that night. Maybe they're lacking a job. They have a, maybe a, a physical disability, unable to work. Like these are the poor people in the Bible. Rich people are simply people who have their needs supplied. So that probably means all of us, right? Like I know, I know where I'm going to eat today. I got plans for lunch already. I, I know where I'm going to sleep tonight as far as I know, right? Unless I mess up these 19 years of marriage somehow between now and then. I, I know what's going to, I've got a job. Like, like I, my life is such that whether I know it or not, I fit into the rich crowd. And, and in the end, what he does when he has this surplus, because we know he's also rich because he has, a, he has even more. Some of you have been able to save up a little bit, right? When you get your paycheck, you plan to put a little away. So that's how we know he's going he's gonna to build bigger barns, right? He says, what shall I do with my surplus grain? I will build bigger 
barns. Now, I know when I start talking about this, some of you squirm because you're like, okay, are you saying that God's anti-savings? Like, Brian, I have, I've been through the Joe Sangle course. I know he talks about a, a retirement fund, an emergency fund, and a busted-up car fund, and a fund for my daughter's wedding, and all the funds, right? Like, God is not anti-savings at all. I don't think God is anti-retirement. I don't think God is anti-investments. I think the, the truth is this. God never wants our savings to do the saving. He never, never wants us to think that our savings can save us. And the way that you do this, the way that you save, and you, the posture towards your finances will determine your theology of God. What kind of God do you worship? Is God a God of abundance? Is God a God of provision? Is he the God that created the world and everything in it? Or is he a God that's lacking? Is he a God that can't provide? It's interesting. This has been something that God has been trying to teach his people from the beginning. You know the story of Israel? They were enslaved in Egypt. And then when they were liberated from slavery, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And as they're wandering, they needed provision, right? I mean, more than anything, they needed to, for God to show that he was their provider. And so God did provide that for them. He gave them food from heaven. And does anybody know the name of the food? Manna, yeah. So it's called manna. Some of you have heard that term, manna from heaven. That's where it comes from, from the Bible, this idea that God provided. And we don't know exactly what it was. We just know it was like a bread-like substance. Of a bread-like substance. We don't know much more than that, but here's what we know. We know they'd go to bed at night. They'd wake up in the morning. There'd be manna on the ground. Somebody made breakfast, and it was God, right? So they'd eat the manna. They'd go throughout their day. They'd go to bed the next night. They'd wake up the next morning. They'd wake up. There's the manna again. God made breakfast. And day after day, God was showing them who he was and, and his provision and his abundance through his, his providing food for them every single day. Now, then, then guess what happens? A few people kind of get smart, right? They're like, yo, let's, I got a little extra manna today. Why don't we put a little bit of that into the closet? Why don't you just save that up because God fed us today, but he might not feed us tomorrow. Let's, uh, let's just hold a little bit back because what if God takes a nap? He sleeps in. Like, I need some breakfast. I get kind of hangry in the morning. Like, I got to make sure I got some manna for tomorrow. They store it up. They wake up the next day. They open the cupboard, and it's rotten. See, the manna wouldn't store for more than a day. God literally only gave them enough for that moment to teach them that they are not their provider. God is. God is the one that will give them all things, and I mean, some of you are like, what if my paycheck was like that? Right? You get paid on Friday. If you don't spend it by Friday night, you know, Saturday morning, poof, it's gone, you know? Some of you are like, that is my life, Brian. That's how it, that's exactly how it works. So that's a, that's a budgeting problem. That's a different sermon. We'll talk about that a different time, right? Dang, Amazon Prime always getting me. Uh, bills, bills, bills. Yeah, I get it, you know, and it's interesting how God does this because he's teaching us something. He's teaching them and he also wants to teach us about our greed. I mean, think about that. So they got bread from heaven. And this would have been, people would have told stories about that. Remember when God gave us food from heaven, like bread from heaven to feed us every single day? And then Jesus shows up to the scene. What's he say about himself? He says, I am the bread of life. And he starts saying these crazy things like, like you know, this is a different kind of bread. The kind of bread that's going to sustain you. That's going to be enough for you forever more. He teaches us to pray. What does he, he says, hey, when you pray, I want you to pray for your daily bread, right? Not your, not your monthly bread, not your annual bread, but your daily bread. And the, other, the idea, once again, is God will give you enough for today, right? Tomorrow hasn't happened yet, and yet yesterday already came and went. So, so today is what you know. Today is what you've been promised. So, so be faithful to God today. And again, that doesn't mean you don't plan for the future, but you plan for the future knowing that God will provide no matter what. With that, with that in your heart, it's going to change how you save. You see, either we believe Jesus will be enough for us or we don't. And the way we spend our money is just a symptom of that belief. And we get tested in it all the time. So this man, he gets into the storage business when he has a surplus. He's like, how do I hold on to more of this? Why does he do that? I think he does it for the same reason we do it. It's because he's, he's afraid, right? I mean, he thinks that if he stores things up and saves it, it will pr pr protect him from pain, right? It'll give him a little bit of peace. 
And I think that's what we do. We go, man, I'm going to have more peace the more I have. The bigger barns I have, the more surplus I have, the more peace I'll have in my life, right? I don't have to be so scared. And listen, this is happening all around us all the time. I mean, your fear is being leveraged and other people getting rich off it every single day. And this is how the news works. And this is all over the place is it's leveraging your fear so that someone else can make a profit. And, and so we see this, like the other day, uh, I saw a guy going down the highway with like six fuel barrels in the back of his truck, right? Full of gasoline. And I'm like, that dude's smart, right? He's saving up. He's building bigger barrels, I guess. Like he's, he's storing up because he's, he's afraid it could be 10 bucks a gallon next week. And so it's like he's planning ahead. Like what are your bigger barns? Is it your savings account, right? Is it that retirement account? Is it literally you're building a bigger barn, right? And again, it's not the thing that's, that's, that's the problem. It's not the savings. It's not the barn itself. It's the posture toward it that says, God, I don't know if you're going to feed me tomorrow morning, so I'll feed myself. I'll make sure that I take care of me and mine. Because I don't believe that you can take care of us. It's fear, right? It's fear. When we begin to be greedy, all we can hear in the back, back of our minds is this, what if? Like, like, what if this happens? What if the car breaks down? What if you lose your job? What if the market fails? Like, what if something falls apart? What if, and what this rich man wants to do is rid his life from any chance of what if? And for us, I'll be honest, that's a lot of times my goal. I want to rid myself of what if. Because the end of what if is what if God doesn't provide? What if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't come through on his end? Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So this man, he's planning for an early retirement, right? And he loves, he's really excited. He wants to retire early. And then he's like, and I'll say to myself, self, treat yourself, right? Like, like you owe you. Like, you've done good this life. I want you to eat and drink and be merry. And I can imagine in his mind, he's like, maybe that's when I'll be generous. Like, once I, once I treat myself, then I'll treat others. You know? Then I'll treat God. But, like, I got to treat myself because I owe me. Ultimately, the biggest debt that I have is to myself. And so he says, I'm going to treat myself. The purpose of his abundance is to, is to be able to relax and eat and drink and be merry, Right? And I think we think this a lot of times, like I will begin to be uh, like, like more of a giver once I hit retirement, right? Like at that point, once enough is saved up in the barn, I will start to flex that muscle. But I just want to tell you that if you have not used that muscle consistently through your life at retirement, it will be so atrophied, it will not work. And it's not just the muscle that's the problem. You will have wasted your life in terms of learning that God supplies over and over and over again. And I just want to tell you, I could like parade people up on this stage for, for hours that have seen this happen and have seen how God has provided as they have been faithful. And, and for you, maybe you've, you, you're like, I don't have a lot of stories like that. And the reason is because you haven't tested it. You haven't been trying. And there's a reason that God does say in this one area to test him. And you're like, well, I don't have enough of those stories because you haven't maybe tested tested God in that way. And so this man wants control. He wants stability. He wants to take it easy. And then God kind of slaps some sense into him, right? It says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. Now, uh, man, this is, seems harsh, like to call someone a fool. But what God is simply saying is you have fooled yourself. You've deceived yourself. You have worked up and built up a whole philosophy of life that supports what you want to believe and you have lied to yourself. And he says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Isn't that all of our story? Isn't that, that's all of our story. It's like no matter what we save, we can never save ourselves. No matter what we hold back, we can never hold back the reality of death. Like, no matter how we think, we can control our lives and protect ourselves and our families. He says, hey, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who's going to get it? And that not that the story, right? Everything we have will go on to the next person. 
And either moths and rust will destroy it, as Jesus talks about. He says, store up treasures in heaven where moths and and rust cannot destroy instead of treasures on earth. And so either moths and rust will destroy what we have or just move on to the next person or the next thing, right? He says, you fool, you've invested your life in something that will not last. And you've missed out on all that I had for you because you chose to be greedy, right? You see, what's the problem with this man? What's he saying? I think he's saying if you're satisfied with the things money can buy, you're at risk of losing the things money can't buy. If you actually somehow satisfy yourself and convince yourself, I am good now with what I have, and that satisfies you, you have placed yourself at risk of losing the very thing that you have existed to find, which is life in Jesus, which is eternity with him. It puts us at risk. And so here's what we know. God is not anti-money. If you have money, it's because he gave it to you. He's not anti-stuff. He loves to give good stuff to his children, right? He filled the garden with all of these things, right? Trees for them to enjoy, plants and and land, all these things for them to enjoy. No, God is not anti-stuff. He created this stuff. No, God is not anti-money or stuff. He is pro-people. He is for you. And because he's for you, he wants to root greed out of your heart. And the good thing is he's given us a tool for it. I'm so glad God doesn't just say, hey, you know what you should do with your greed? Just stop being greedy. He's given us a tool for it, and it's this, generosity. Generosity. This is how God teaches us to root greed out of our lives is through being generous people. What is a generous person? A generous person is simply somebody who wants to move heaven and earth to meet needs around them. It's like something in you burns. When you see an opportunity to give or release what you have, you just release it, and you move heaven and earth to try to make that need be met. That's a generous person, right? That's somebody who sees what they have, their possessions different maybe than others around them. And I get it. Like, it's, it's scary. It's scary to be generous. And can we be real about this? I don't know anybody that doesn't want to be more generous. Do you have any friends that you don't like because they're so generous? Are you like, ah, oh, Bill, he's like always letting me borrow his snow machine, and he just takes me out and pays for gas every time, and we go out to dinner, and he buys me dinner, and like, he's always praying for me, and I screw up, and he forgives me every single time. I just can't stand his generosity, right? Nobody says that. Have you ever left a church because it was so generous? You ever been like, man, those Christians at ACF are just so dang generous. I gotta find a new church. Find a new community, right? I mean, this just doesn't happen. We all want to be around generous people, we just don't want to be the generous person. Because if we're honest, here's, here's, I'm going to be real with you, like, because this is all kinds of real today, and y'all look like I just told you your flies are down. I'm just telling all of you. I can't see you online. I don't know how you're doing, but you're all like, mm. Okay, so I think, I think this. I think that we all believe that generosity is a good thing, and yet we also secretly believe that it's not that smart. In our minds, I think we're like, oh no, generosity is a real good thing, but we're like, but it's not actually that smart. Like, don't go crazy with your generosity, right? Like, sure, be generous, but don't go like nuts with it, right? We're not fanatics around here. I mean, like, like, you gotta make sure you take care of yourself first, right? I mean, like, where does it end? At what point are we like, man, I've taken care of myself enough, right? For this man, it just turned into bigger barns. I guarantee the first barn he built, he was like, eh, that's probably pretty decent. And he's, at some point, he saw that barn, he's like, oh, my neighbor's barn's a little bigger. I think I need a bigger barn. It just, it never stops, does it? I think secretly, we're like, man, I just don't know if it's that fiscally responsible to be crazy generous. And here's why, because when you become generous, it feels like something dies inside of you. Because something does. And it's greed. Like the death you feel when you're generous, that's greed dying inside of you, and it hurts. Do you know that God's super generous? Do you know God is the embodiment of generosity? And you know that for God to be generous, someone had to die. There was a death involved. And the same is true for you and me. If we're going to become generous people, something's going to have to die. And I still remember the first time I was in college, and I was convicted that I had not been giving to the local church, and so I was part of this church back in Wyoming, and so I walked up to the little box. They had the little black boxes like we have here, and I dropped my offering in the box, and all I could stare at was that little lock on the front, and I thought, that's a target lock. It's like $2.99. I can pick that lock. I can get, 
I can get it back. I can take it back. There was fear and just like, what am I doing, right? Something died inside of me. I didn't know it was dying, and what was dying was my greed. God was killing my greed through an act of giving. And I think this is something that God wants to do in all of us. He wants to heal us. I want to give you three principles. I want you to write these down if you've got a pen real quick. And, and some of you have heard these. We've talked about these things for years. But these are essential to us having, I think, a Jesus lens when it looks at the things that we have in our lives. And the first thing is this. We are not owners, but managers. Do you know that you don't own anything? You know that all things come from God. That was what happened in the garden is they're like, hey, like we got all this stuff. That tree must be ours too. And God's like, no, no, that's not, that's not yours. And they said, no, I think it is. And that's when greed showed up, is they took what wasn't theirs. They started living as if they were owners and not managers of the garden. I want you to think about what you have, your possessions and your finances like a garden. And some of it is yours to spend in one way, and some of it is not yours to spend in another way. And so for me, we have a financial advisor. Maybe you do as well. And whenever he wants to change some things in our investments, he calls me and says, Brian, should I do this? And if I tell him no, he doesn't do it. And if he did it when I told him no, I would get a new financial advisor. I would move my money elsewhere. Do you know that God says he works the same way? He says those who are trusted with little can be trusted with much. And so it actually says that God is testing us in our finances. He's like, hey, I'm, I am testing you with this. And, and, and so we got to see ourselves not as owners but managers, right? We don't just do whatever we want with what is God's. The next thing is this, open hands keep us ready to receive. We want to have this posture toward everything we own. That's how we start to, to kill our, our, our greed, is that we live open-handedly to God. And so the basic principle is that when our hands are open, God can place anything in them and take anything out of them, right? But when your hands are closed, it's not only hard for you to give, it's hard for you to receive. And so we want to live open-handed with everything we have. That's how we can have stuff and not have our stuff have us, is that we live open-handed with it. If you're here today and you're like, I got a sweet car, I got a, I got a couple barns, Brian, that's okay. The problem is not in the barns. The problem is how do you hold those things? Are you open-handed with what you have? Are you actually following Jesus when it comes to your things? And the third thing is this, we can never outgive God. If you disagree with me, I encourage you to try Make today your day. I'm going to try to outgive God. I'm going to see. I'm going to see if God is a God of abundance or if God is a God of scarcity. You should think about that. Now, I know some of this sounds crazy, and again, if you're here and you're new, you're not a Christian, don't feel any pressure. We're not looking for your money or anything like that. And, I, and honestly, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you probably see the value in generosity to a certain degree still. Because I believe that's the, that's the fingerprint of God written on your heart that you're like, yeah, I love generous people and I love to be generous, but I'm not maybe a Christian yet. But as followers of Jesus, we should be the most generous people in the world, right? I mean, we have this generous God that's like, I'm going to lavish you with gifts and I'm going to give you my son, the greatest gift ever given to humanity. How is it that we can hold on to the things we have, yet over here we're holding on to Christ? How can we do that? See, this only makes sense if you see life through the lens of Jesus. Now, I know some of you are like, this is normally when the pastor is going to start talking about the tithe, right? Um, and if that's your fear, it's exactly what I'm going to do. It's exactly where I'm going. And here's, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. No, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I get that this gets uncomfortable, and some of you are like, man, I, I, don't, I don't like to talk about the tithe. But here's the thing. Remember, remember the manna from heaven? Manna is this idea, once again, it's, it's this daily reminder, this routine thing that every single day, God's my provider, God's my provider, God's my provider. And some of us, we, we love to give when I feel like it. I love to give under impulse. I love to give when, like, the emotion's there. I love to give when somebody's going to know it so that I'll get some kickback, a little bit of praise from somebody else. But the idea that I would discipline the greed in my soul by consistently giving to the mission of God through the local church, that seems pretty difficult. But that's exactly what God calls us to do. Now, I know there's a lot of opinions about the tithe. Um, here's what you need to know. Uh, your staff, your elder board, your governing board, and all of us, we are not asking you to do something we're not doing. So we, we all tithe. 
So we commit to that if we are a leader in the church that we are tithing to the local church. And if you don't know what a tithe is, it's just to take 10% of what God has given us to manage and sending it into the mission of the local church. It's flexing that muscle that we don't want to have atrophy when we're retired someday. And we also don't want to miss out on the blessings of God today because we're always deferring his blessings till tomorrow, right? Because there's a blessing in generosity, a blessing in giving. And so this generosity in giving is how we start to discipline our greed. And if you're like, how does tithing connect to generosity? I believe that tithing is training wheels for generosity. It's how we begin to to teach our heart what it looks like to be open-handed with what we have consistently, to budget it into our lives. One of the reasons, honestly, that people don't like to tithe, they want to give more impulsively, is it just plain costs less that way. Uh, there, There probably are a few people who are like, I give a tithe, but I just give it all. Like, it's hard to stay disciplined in that. So for me, my wife and I, for our entire marriage, we, we've tithed to the local church. And I'll tell you, I came home when I first started in ministry and I told, her, I told my wife, I said, babe, we are tithing our time to the Lord. And she goes, we are tithing our money to the Lord. And I said, yes, ma'am. And that's what we've done for our entire marriage. Is Because that's the deal. I want to substitute with something that feels, a little, I want a little less death in my life. My, tithe, my time has a little less pain connected to it. So I want to tithe my time, but not my money. And if you're here and you're like, Brian, I've read the Bible. It's an Old Testament thing. Jesus doesn't uh, affirm the tithe. Matthew 23, 23. says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, For you tithe, again, it's a tenth, tenth. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin. So these religious leaders were actually tithing off the spices in their cabinet. They were not only giving of their money, they were giving off the spices. They were like uber connected to the tithe, right? And Jesus is like, Okay, you tithe all of those things, but then he goes, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now, don't miss this. Jesus says this. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So again, you're like, oh, it's just an Old Testament thing. No, no, Jesus says, no, tithing, sure, you should have done that without neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness. Why does he connect the two? Because your generosity through your finances is actually teaching your heart to be faithful and merciful towards others. It's teaching your heart to let go and to serve and to love in a way that that kind of hurts sometimes. And all of those things, justice and mercy and faithfulness, they hurt. So he's like, yeah, you shouldn't have stopped doing those things, but you should not have neglected the other things. And I know when I start talking about this, some of you are like, okay, Brian, is the church struggling? It's, we're doing fine. And in fact, our church over the course of the past two years has been more generous than in the entire life of ACF Church. I mean, you guys really are the most generous people I've ever met. And I know some of you are like, Brian, is it you? Do you just want my money? Listen, again, this is not about me. And, and I know that that's a fear for some of you. And so literally I did this this week. Um, I wanted to get rid of this fear. And so I texted uh, Pastor Jonathan Walker out at Church on the Rock. We actually just did a men's conference with them. I love their church. I love their mission. Um, they are high integrity. And I texted him. I said, Pastor Jonathan, would it be okay if I asked ACF people, um, if they needed to, to, to give to Church on the Rock instead of ACF? And guess what he said back to me? Yes. He said yes. So, so here, here's the deal. I'm going to, if you're here today and you're like, this is about you, Brian, I'm going to call your bluff. I want to encourage you that if you're here today and you've never tithed and you're just convinced it's about me and you don't trust the church, which, side note, you should find a church that you trust if you, if you don't trust the church. But if it really is about that, then go give to them and be faithfully mobilizing the mission the way that God has called you to. So I want to encourage you to take a step forward and move beyond it and understand that maybe you've heard the tithing sermon before. Some of you are like, Brian, I am tithing, but understand, generosity never ends. Do you know you never reach generosity? That it's a muscle you flex that you build on your whole entire life? You see, the tithe isn't our standard of generosity. The cross is. It's all about us sacrificing and saying, hey, what's next? And that's what my wife and I were praying. What's next for generosity? How do we meet more needs? How do we position ourselves to be ready to follow Jesus, the God of abundance in a world of scarcity? Isn't that a story you want to tell? Don't you want to tell people about a God of abundance? The night before Jesus was crucified, he led the disciples in the traditional Passover meal. He sat down at a table, and if you've been to church for a while, you know 
the elements of the meal, bread and wine. It's interesting, as they have this meal, they're eating together, the disciples are listening to Jesus, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and they start to realize Jesus is kind of changing the meaning of some of these elements. The meal is changing, right? They would celebrate this over and over and over again. The Passover was celebrating God's liberation of his people from slavery, and Jesus goes, hey, this bread that you keep eating, right? And they remember him saying, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, this is my body, and then he says, broken for you. So Jesus says, there's a sacrifice that must be made. There's a death that has to happen because he is a God of generosity, and that death will not be someone else's. It will be mine. Isn't that beautiful? Like God wasn't like, someone has to die. The sins of the world are so evil and so bad. There must be a sacrifice. So make it George. I don't know if your name is George. I'm sorry. But make it George. George will be the sacrifice for the world's sins. Somebody else will give what needs to be given. No, God says, I will be the sacrifice. I will give of myself for the sins of the world, right? The cross is our standard of generosity. And it will always be for those who see the world through the lens of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't get it. I don't want to do it. You need to go back to Jesus. You need to look at the cross. You need to remember what he's done for you today. I want you to grab uh, one of your action cards. If you saw a little piece of paper on your seat, in fact, would you pass me one of those real quick? Thank you. I forgot to bring one up. Yeah, if you want to tear this off the bottom, this is just something we do every week. Um, And this is just a way to take a next step. And I want to encourage you to do this. I know that uh, many times we leave church, we don't remember what God did in our hearts. And so this is a chance for you to choose how you feel God leading you to move forward. And so maybe you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. I want you to check that box. I'd love to hear about that. And all we're going to do is text you this week to tell you we're praying for you. We'd just love to know that we can pray for you this week. Maybe you need prayer for your greed. I don't know how many people are going to check that that one, but like that would take some serious self-awareness to go, I just need someone to pray because I'm hearing that I need to move forward, but I just don't want to. And that's a that's a great place to start. Maybe you're here today and you say, I want to begin regular giving and tithing. I don't want to be impulsive. I'm glad God didn't go, I'm going to give you manna one day and not the next. When I feel like it, I'll give you some manna. I don't know. God's like, no, I'm going to be consistent. So maybe it's just a consistent giving or a consistent tithing. Maybe you've been giving, but you're like, I want to try and test God in that tithe. And the last one is this. I want to set a life budget. Maybe you're developing and growing a business or you, you're starting to see like your finances come together in this season of life and you're like, I could just continue to increase my standard of living or I could increase my standard of giving. And I could start to see God move in some new ways. And we're just going to say, hey, at this level of living, we're going to stop. And we're not just going to keep adding stuff to our lives and build bigger barns. We're actually going to give the rest away. So I, I challenge you in that. Set a life budget and go, that's, that's what we need to keep moving forward. Now, I know it's been heavy, and some of you are here, and you're just like, I still don't get it. I'm not sure why this matters or how much of a difference this could make. But if that's you here today, I want you to check out this story. Um, My name is Zach. I've been coming to ACF for about a year and a half. Uh, When I came here, I heard about the Young Adults Group 1825. Uh, I was really looking for community, and I thought it'd be good just to find some people to walk with in life who didn't want to face a lot of things alone. I I knew I needed to find a church, and 1825 really became that positive community for me. In October, uh, my mother caught COVID, and she was in the hospital for a few months. And after a while, I started noticing she wasn't getting much better. So I bought a plane ticket, and I got a phone call a day before I was supposed to fly out from my brother telling me, buy a flight tonight, because we just got a phone call that she's not going to make it through the night. I flew home to Texas. Um, Unfortunately, as soon as I landed, My phone generates all the text messages and phone calls, and I got a phone call from my father. Um, I heard the voicemail from telling me, basically, while I was on the plane, um, she passed. So I I missed it by a few hours. 
was just a really hard time understanding, you know, she wasn't there with us or coming back. Basically, what we figured out is we needed about $20,000 to bury my mother. Um, and it got to the point that we had about a week to come up with the funds. So my siblings and I, we all gave what we could and we were still pretty short. And so the 1825 uh, ministry had heard about my mother and word got out that we were struggling to come up with funds. And I had no idea, but the small group of less than 30 one night took up a collection and came up with more than $3,000. Fast forward, ACF Church heard about what 1825 was doing by raising funds, and they decided, well, we want to take a collection too, so the church took up a collection. And then on top of that, an individual said, well, whatever funds y'all come up with, I want to match it. One day, I was just sitting at the dinner table with my family, and I got a phone call from Jesse Garnett, who was the leader of 1825 at the time. And he just asked me, are you with your family right now? And I told him, yeah, we're all here, just at the dinner table. And he said, he asked me if I could put him on speakerphone, and basically he told my family that, you know, we may not know you personally, but we know Zach, and he's family to us, and you are all family to us. And so we want you to know that we're, we're mourning with you and we want to be part of this uh, with you. And so he told us the story of how 1825 took up a collection, ACF took up a collection, and someone matched it. And he said, we wanted to bless your family uh, with a number over $10,000. I remember when we heard this, um, my siblings and I, we all weep together, and I was just telling them, like, God, guys, God is faithful, and he remembers. And I saw some siblings who kind of lost faith in God throughout the years, very impacted by this gift from the church. Um, I really believe that that gift, it blessed my family financially, but also led to revival in my family. And um, siblings I haven't seen pray in a very long time, we all just prayed and we together and thank God for his faithfulness and less than 30 people coming up with $3,000. It, it just really showed me how generous and, and how much we're looking out for each other at 1825. It's been a huge blessing being part of this group. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.